Lesson number 91, Surah Al-A'raf, ayah number 54-72. Inna Rabbakum, indeed your Lord, Allahu is Allah, Alladhi, the one who khalaqa, he created, as-samawat, the skies, wal-ard, and the earth. In how long? Fi in sittah, six ayamin days. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is addressing all of mankind over here, all of us. That know your Lord. Know the one whom you should remember now. And whom you have to meet tomorrow. Who is He? The one who created the heavens and the earth, the skies and the land, all that you see around yourself, what you see above yourself, what you see beneath your feet. Everything around you, about you, He created all of that. In how long? Sittati ayyam. Just six days. Ayyam, plural of yawm. Six days. What does that show? That He created all of this gradually, in stages, with planning. For Allah, it is not difficult to create something within a second. He is able to do that. Very much able to do that. He just has to say, kun, and everything will happen. It will come into existence. It will come into being. But the fact that He took time, six days, were dedicated to the creation of the heavens and the earth, what does that show? That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala paid special attention to the creation of the heavens and the earth. He gave this importance. And by giving the heavens and the earth importance, who is He giving importance to? The one who has to live in the earth, beneath the skies, meaning the human beings. Allah paid so much attention to us and our needs. He created everything within six days. In a hadith which is in Sahih Muslim, we learn that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created dust, turba, dust, on Saturday. And He created the mountains on Sunday. And He created the trees on Monday. And He created the things that require a lot of hardship or you can say the tough, solid, very, very strong things, the very powerful things. He created them on Tuesday. And He created the light on Wednesday. And He spread the creatures throughout it on Thursday. So in six days, the creation of the earth and the sky was complete. And then on Friday, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created Adam alayhi salam. So six days were dedicated to the creation of the heavens and the earth. You might say, how? How is it the mountains and then the creatures? And We don't know. We can't understand this 100%. But we believe in whatever has been taught to us. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created the skies and the earth in six days, paying special attention to our needs. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala took care of us even before He created us. ثُمَّ then istawa He rose from seen wawiyya. Istiwa is to rise and to settle. To rise and to settle. This is the literal meaning of the word. So he rose Allah upon al-arsh, the throne. Meaning the throne of Allah, then he rose on it. Meaning he settled on it. How? We don't know. Where was he before that? Don't know. Is there any benefit in asking such questions? No. Because no matter how many questions you ask, and no matter how many ways you try to answer these questions, Will you ever know the reality? Can we ever know the reality? No. 
So then when we read such verses, but how is it that Allah rose over the throne, established Himself over the throne, and where was He before? And is He always there? Is He always situated? I mean, what we know is that Allah rose over the throne. So that's where we believe He is, because that's what He has informed us. Other questions? We don't ask them, because they're not of benefit. When Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling us this, that summa stawa ala al-arsh, then what does it teach us? It teaches us that He is attending to our needs. He is taking care of us because He is Rabbul Alameen. وَلِلَّهِ الْمَثَلُ الْأَعْلَى For Allah is the exalted, the most high example, the most high description. لَيْسَ كَمِثْلِي شَيْءٍ There's nothing like Him. But just to give you an example, that when there is a king who establishes himself in his office, when he takes office, then what happens? That he has started his work. Alright? Meaning he is fulfilling his responsibilities as a king, as a leader, as whatever. Alright? So over here, we don't go into the details of how this happened, and why, and in what manner. Because there are people who delve into such questions. And by these questions, they try to question the existence of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the power of Allah, the ability of Allah, the strength of Allah. But there is no point in reflecting on this. We should reflect on matters which deal with our actions, which improve our iman. The Sahaba also read this ayah, heard this ayah, but they never asked the Prophet ﷺ, how did Allah rise over the throne? So we just accept it as is. Imam Malik, once he was asked, that how is this istiwa? How did Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala rise over the throne? What happened? Where was he before? And is he still there? So Imam Malik, he responded, Al-istiwa ma'loom. We know that it happened. Wal-kayf majhul. How it happened, we don't know. And we will forever not know unless Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala informs us. When you meet Allah, then you can ask Him. Hmm? But for that, you have to please Him. وَالسُؤَالُ عَنْهُ بِدْعَةً And questioning it is, is an innovation. Because the companions never asked about these things. وَالْإِيمَانُ بِهِ wajib And believing in it is mandatory. Because it's a part of the Qur'an. And then he said, take this guy out. Because Imam Malik, he wouldn't tolerate people asking such questions in his class. He would have these strong, you know, tall men, his students, which were like exceptionally tall built, and he would have them as guards. So if anyone would ask such a problematic question, he would say, أَخْرِجُوهُ Take him out. So those big men would come and just take that guy out. Because he wouldn't tolerate any such mischief. So, what we learn over here is that anything that we come across in the Qur'an, in the Sunnah, that we cannot fully comprehend. That how did Allah create the earth and the sky? How is it that the mountains were created first? And then light was created later? And then creatures were created afterwards? How did this happen? We don't know. We don't know. And there is no point in asking such questions. We just say, Okay, Allah said it, I believe in it. What am I supposed to do? Whatever Allah asks me. That's what my focus should be on. So, ثُمَّ اسْتَوَى عَلَى الْعَرْشِ He rose over the throne. يُغْشِ Layla. He causes the night to cover. From غَيْن شِينْ يَا غَشِيَ To cover. So he causes the night to cover. What? النَّهَارَ The day. He causes the night to cover the day. Cover the day meaning 
take over the light of the day and vice versa yatlubuhu it seeks it it chases it how hathitha quickly hathith is from the root letters hathatha and hath is to urge someone to do something and when you urge encourage someone to do something then what happens they move quickly like for example if you tell someone come here let me show you something and they were just sitting there not moving but when you say come here let me show you something instantly they will get up and come towards you i tried that with my son last night he wasn't coming upstairs to bed i said come here let me show you something he ran up the stairs hmm? so this is hathi when you encourage someone to do something and they they move quickly so the night what happens it chases the day meaning when its time comes in then rapidly quickly it takes over the day sometimes within moments you see that all of a sudden it's dark outside all of a sudden it's dark outside and it's amazing how it's so bright and within 20 minutes within 10 minutes sometimes sometimes more sometimes less the entire sky becomes black dark so yatlubuhu hathitha what do we see over here that the night and the day they follow each other they follow each other meaning without any intermission day is followed by night which is followed by day and this happens how constantly and rapidly constantly and rapidly so what is it show that the night meaning when the sun sets and when the sun rises all of this is obedient to who allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because who is encouraging them who is telling them who is ordering them to move in this manner one after the other allah subhanahu wa ta'ala والشمس and the sun والقمر and the moon والنجوم and the stars plural of najm all of them مسخرات ones subjected سين خرا تسخير مسخرات plural of مسخرة and مسخرة is that which has been subjected meaning that which has been compelled to do some work in other words they don't have a choice they are kept in obedience so all of them are مسخرات subjected bi amrihi by his command meaning all of them are subjected to his command whatever he commands them they do it allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has fixed a schedule for all of these celestial bodies the sun the moon the stars and with them the night and the day all of them they move according to a set routine they move at the order of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in surah yasin ayah 40 we learn wa kullun fi falakin yasbahun each is floating in its own orbit meaning it's going at its own pathway whatever path Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has decided for it it's moving on it constantly without a break so what does it show to us that everything in this world is constantly moving from one stage to the other nothing remain still and stagnant the day does not stay forever the night doesn't stay forever what happens when its time is over it moves on all right when its time is over it moves on which is why we see that with the rotation of the earth what happens the night is constantly shifting the day is constantly shifting if you ever see one of those videos you see that how the night is coming and going coming and going clouds constantly moving and shifting All right? What does this show? That when everything is moving, 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 growing, 
going on its schedule, on its routine, at the command of Allah. Whatever Allah has decided for it, that at this time, this has to happen. Then, what should we do? What should we do? Just sit on the couch, with the phone in front of us? Hmm? With the computer in front of us? With the television on in front of us? And let the day pass, let the night pass, let the week pass, let the month pass, let the year pass, and have nothing accomplished? Yeah? Is that what we should do? Is this the lesson that the universe gives to us? Is this what the universe teaches us? No. Nothing stops. Everything is moving. The sun, so obedient. The earth, so obedient to Allah. Fixed on a schedule, on a routine. But what do we do many times? We just sit and waste our lives, our days, our hours, our moments. And at the end we've got nothing accomplished. Ask yourself every day, every week, what did I accomplish this week? What do I have today? What did I earn? What did I acquire in this week? What did I achieve? Every weekend that you come here, ask yourself, in this past week, what is it that I have done that is worth something? Or is it that a whole week has gone in just doing the same daily things, eating, drinking, sleeping, waking up, going to school, and that's it? Or is there something that we are achieving? Something that we are producing with our efforts, with the time that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us? Because every day we need to progress. Like for example, your body, every day it grows. Until a certain stage in your life, it's growing stronger and stronger. And then it becomes weaker and weaker. But it doesn't stop. It doesn't freeze in time. Does it? Doesn't. It keeps changing. Keeps evolving. And just like that, our actions should also increase and improve. What we have at the end should be something that we didn't have before. Because this is what Allah's creation teaches us. That وَكُلٌّ فِي فَلَكٍ يَسْبَحُونَ Each is moving in its orbit. And those people who just sit and do nothing, then they cannot survive longer. They cannot survive for very long. Sooner or later, their time will be up. Like for example, if there is a person who is going to work, and they're supposed to be doing something, but they just sit there, clock in and clock out, and they hardly get anything done, then what will happen? Will they be kept in that job? Or will the boss say one day that, thank you very much for whatever you've done so far, and now we let you go. Will that day come? Yes. Yes. Because every person, given the time and the resources that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made available to them, You know, there are certain things that are expected of them. And if we don't produce something beneficial for ourselves, for others, then we're wasting ourselves. We're proving that we are useless, we are unnecessary. Allah says, Allah, unquestionably, lahul khalqu, to Him belongs the khalq. Meaning, the entire creation is whose? Whose is it? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The creator is the owner. And everything that has been created, it has been created by who? Allah. Wal-amru, and the command, meaning the command also belongs exclusively to Him. So He decides for every creation what has to happen in its life. For instance, the sun. What a huge, massive thing it is. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala owns it, and He has decided for it what has to happen. Right? And likewise, our lives are also governed by who? 
Allah. He decides how much we eat. He decides how much we live. He decides how much we enjoy. He decides everything. Tabarakallahu. Blessed is Allah, Rabbul Alameen, the Lord of the worlds. Tabaraka. Tabaraka means he is rich with khair, with good traits, meaning he has many good attributes. He has a lot of good. All the good that you see, that you feel, who's the source of it? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Tabarakallah, Rabbul Alameen, the Lord of the worlds. We see in this ayah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's ayat. Which ayat? Kauni ayat. And what's the lesson in them for us? That when the entire creation is under Allah, obedient to Him, producing something beneficial, then what are we supposed to do as human beings? The same thing. If we want to be useful, then we have to do what the rest of the creation is doing. Making use of the time, the ability that Allah has given, and benefiting others. Think about it. The sun, the moon, the stars, the day, the night. Are they just you know, going on the schedule, benefiting no one, nothing? No. Our livelihood depends on what? The sun. The health of our bodies, it depends on what? The sun. We benefit so much from them. So just like that, our lives should also be beneficial for others. Not that we are existing only for ourselves, only for our enjoyment and relaxation. Allah says, Udu'u, call upon Rabbakum, your Lord. This is your Lord, the Creator, the Owner, the Master. So He, the one who causes the sun, the moon, the night, the day to move about, He is the one who has created them. You call upon Him. Because everything in His control, everything is within His hands. Call upon your Lord. And how should you call upon Him? How? تَضَرُّعًا وَخُفْيَةً In humility and privately. تَضَرُّع is from ضَادْرَعِينَ And تَضَرُّع is humility. Such humility in which a person expresses his neediness before the other. That I desperately need you. And he shows his weakness before the other. That I am so weak, I am incapable of helping myself. This is why I need your help. I need you to give me. Those of you who are not writing right now the meaning of the word tadarru, what are you going to do on the test? Hmm? Where are you looking at? Please focus. Alright? Because it's a very important ayah. Allah is telling us something here. That call upon Allah tadarru'an. So what is tadarru'an? To express humility. What kind of humility? What kind of humility is tadarrur? In which a person shows their neediness. Alright? In which a person shows their weakness. That, Ya Allah, I need your help. I can't do this myself. I'm too weak. I don't have the strength. Sometimes what happens is that we even lack the willpower to do something. Has it ever happened with you? That you know it's time to pray, but it's like you just don't feel like it. That inner motivation is missing. It's like you know you should recite the Qur'an, but you don't feel like it. So at that time also, call upon Allah, Ya Allah, you give me the ability to pray to you. The Prophet ﷺ after every salah, what would he ask for? That, رَبِّ أَعِنِّي عَلَى ذِكْرِكَ 
wa shukrika wa husni ibadatika that oh my lord you help me to remember you to thank you and to worship you in the best way because if you don't help me i can't do it if you don't give me the ability the strength i can't do it on my own so call upon your lord tadarruan show that you're nothing before allah beg him express your neediness express that you need allah acknowledge your weakness your imperfection your insignificance and keep in mind the greatness of allah keep in mind the power and ability of allah that he can give you everything we can understand tadarrur from the life of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam at the battle of badr do you remember how many muslims were there at the battle of badr how many 1000 or 2000 How many? 500? Yes? 313. So around 300 Muslims were there. How many mushrikeen were there? 100? 50? How many? A thousand mushrikeen. So basically the Muslims were what? Outnumbered quite badly. Every Muslim had to deal with three mushrikeen. 3.33. Right? So imagine this is how badly the Muslims were outnumbered. How many horses and and swords and camels did the Muslims have? Very very few. You know why? Because when they left Medina, they didn't leave with the intention to fight. You know that? They left with the intention to catch catch up with the caravan. All right? So they didn't go with you know all those arms and everything no they just went with whatever little they needed and even if they mustered up everything that they have they couldn't produce much because they had very very little resources back home in medina so at that time before the battle the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam did he make dua did he make dua he did and how did he make dua for so long for so long that Abu Bakr radhiyallahu anhu he said oh prophet that's enough that's enough and he said oh allah if you don't help us today then your name will not be mentioned anymore meaning if these group of muslims are finished today and the last messenger that you've sent he is unable to accomplish his mission then your religion will end he is showing his weakness that we cannot defend ourselves with the power that we have we need you and he kept making dua kept making dua with his arms raised to the point that his shawl even fell off his shawl fell off kept making dua tadarruan crying before allah expressing his need of allah and when a person calls upon allah like that ya allah i need you i need you i can't do it myself then what happens this invites allah's mercy it's like if someone tells you that i can't do this myself i need your help i really need your help because i know that you can do it and i can't do it then what happens you as a person are motivated to help them given the limited power and ability that you have you get puffed up that yeah i can help them right allah subhanahu wa ta'ala when a servant calls upon him then allah does not like to return him unanswered and imagine if the servant is expressing his humility before allah 
then Allah will respond to his dua. Why are our prayers not answered? Because we don't even show humility. We just sit there with a blank face, with our eyes shut, thinking about something else, apparently making dua. And then we wonder, yeah, I made that dua, how come it's not answered yet? It's because we didn't even cry a little bit. We didn't show to Allah that we needed His help. We think that we are self-sufficient. We think we can help ourselves. But the fact is that we need Allah's help. And the more you ask Allah for help, the more He will help you. The more successful you will be. أُدْعُوا رَبَّكُمْ تَضَرُّعًا وَخُفْيَةً What does خُفْيَة mean? Secretly, privately. Because many times it happens that if you are in front of people, then you're not able to express yourself. You're not able to pour out your feelings. You're conscious of the people who are around you. You can't cry easily, right? You can't talk easily. But when you are alone, then you can cry all you want, you can say all you want, you can literally pour out your heart before Allah. And it's necessary to verbalize your dua. Because when you say it, then you're thinking about it. And then you actually mean it. So, تَضَرُّعًا وَخُفْيَةً And خُفْيَةً also means, privately meaning in your heart, softly, with humility in your speech, not that you're yelling at Allah, خُفْيَةً Because when you do خُفْيَةً, then it also saves you from showing off. It also saves you from showing off. Then you can make as long Dua as you want, or as short dua as you want. It's up to you. But whatever you will ask, you will ask with all your heart. So, تَضَرُّعًا وَخُفْيَةً Allah says, إِنَّهُ لَا يُحِبُّ الْمُعْتَدِينَ Indeed, He does not like those who cross limits, the transgressors. Who are the transgressors? Doesn't mean those who make too much dua, Allah doesn't like them? No. Transgression over here is not in the frequency of making dua, but in the manner of making dua. So what is i'tida in dua? It is like for example making dua for something that is not your right. So many times it happens that a person makes dua, it's not answered. Why? Because he shouldn't be asking that anyway. He should not be asking for that. Like for example, if a person says, Oh Allah, send Angel Jibreel to me. Please. And Angel Jibreel should tell me everything that I need to know. Or a person says, Ya Allah, I have my exam. Please. Please, somehow, show me the exam paper before the test. Please. Ya Allah, please, please, please. Tadarru'an khufiyatan, he's making this dua. That somehow, let me see the exam paper before the exam. Send some good jinn to me who can tell me the answers. You shouldn't be making such duas. If a person says, you know, Ya Allah, give me maqam al-mahmud. Maqam al-mahmud is only for the Prophet ﷺ, nobody else but him. So those who do i'tida in making dua, Allah doesn't like them. Because many times it happens, people try to test the existence of Allah, the ability of Allah, by making such duas. Like for instance, a friend of mine, one of her close relatives, they became an atheist. And they were very like strong about it. And they would try to convince other people as well, that God doesn't exist. So one day they're like, they went to their younger sister that, you believe there's Allah? You actually think that Allah's there? And she's like, yeah. And they're like, okay, let's see. Allah, turn the lights off. Allah, turn the air conditioning on. See? No answer. There's no God. This is i'tida. Who do you think you are that you're 
ordering Allah like that? Allah, the Khaliq of the Shams, the Qamar, the Nujum. Allah, your Creator. Why are you ordering Him like that? And why are you making such requests anyway? Hasn't Allah given you the ability to get up yourself and switch on the light or switch it off? Hasn't He already fulfilled this need of yours before even you asked Him to? Hasn't He given you the brains with which you've invented remote control? So literally for some people they just have to press a button and everything that they want happens. Allah has already fulfilled this request of yours before even you asked Him. And here you are ordering Allah. This is i'tida' fi dua This is transgression in calling upon Allah. And such people, Allah does not like them. He does not like them. I'tida' in dua is also asking Allah rudely. When a person makes dua, he should show that, Ya Allah, I need you. Not that he's ordering Allah. Think about it. If your younger sister or if your child says, give it to me. Bring that to me. You'll be like, not if you talk to me like that. Many parents, what do they do? They refuse to respond to their children unless there is a please at the beginning or at the end or somewhere in the middle. Isn't it? There has to be that please. That please has to be there. If that please is missing, we're not entertaining your requests at all. These are people who are just older than us in age. Who just have a higher rank than us. That's it. What do we learn here? That when we're making dua, ask with humility. تَضَرُّعًا وَخُفْيَةً Because he does not like those people who do i'tida, Who transgress. Transgression in dua is also calling upon Allah very loudly. Very loudly. Once some people, they were calling upon Allah really loudly. As they were going up and down, they're saying, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, like really, really loudly, making dua loudly. So the Prophet ﷺ, he said, O people, take it easy on yourselves. Verily, you're not calling on one who is deaf or absent. Allah is not deaf. He is not absent. Rather, the one you are calling to is a samir the all-hearer. He is qareeb, he is near. So be careful in the manner that you call upon Allah. تَضَرُّعًا وَخُفْيَةً Because إِنَّهُ لَا يُحِبُّ الْمُعْتَدِينَ When we don't like mu'tadeen, how can we expect that Allah will like mu'tadeen? وَلَا تُفْسِدُوا And do not cause corruption فِي الْأَرْضِ In the earth بَعْدَ after إِصْلَاحِهَا It's reformation. Meaning once Allah has put things right in the earth, don't disturb them, don't destroy them, don't ruin them. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He created this earth not just for you, but there's also many other creatures living in this earth. Yes, you have a greater right, but it doesn't mean that other creatures don't have a right to live. So don't disturb this earth so much that it becomes corrupted. That just because you want you know, certain products that you've become so used to, then because of that you create so much garbage and you cause so much pollution in air, on land, in the sea. No. وَلَا تُفْسِدُوا فِي الْأَرْضِ بَعْدَ إِصْلَاحِهَا Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made such beautiful, pure oceans and seas and rivers and this earth and the creatures and everything so perfectly, so beautifully. And what are we doing? What are we doing? Because of our selfish desires, we are disturbing and destroying the entire earth. Aren't we? We are. I just wanted to share that my parents 
they live in front of this ravine, right? And in the summer, my dad would uh, sit out and watch, like, the beautiful greenery and the birds. And so recently they started doing construction. And, of course, it's a necessity to build new homes. But it's just so sad to see this beautiful ravine, which used to, you know, be a habitat for all these creatures and living, you know, creatures all destroyed, you know, and now you just see like these empty hills with construction trucks and it's just so sad to see, you know, where all these animals now live. Yes. And even though it's a need, that's understandable, but the the places that or the places on the earth where we don't have any particular need, why are they turning into dumps? Right? Like for example, why is the waste chemicals and stuff, why are they thrown into the sea water. Why? Because they don't know how to get rid of it. Because there's so much demand. The other day I went to this particular store and I have never in my entire life seen so many toys. So many toys. I was shocked that in one place there could be so many toys. Like, okay, there's certain stores which are meant to have toys, like Toys R Us or something. That's understandable. But in another store, it doesn't make sense. So many toys. And then I realized, oh yeah, it's Christmas. Right? It's the time when people will shop and shop and shop and buy and buy and give gifts to others. And sometimes they're not even meant to be gifts. They're actually meant to be stuff for themselves or their own children. But I was amazed. That throughout the year there are toys over here, but right now even more. Is it that the people who are living in the city don't have toys? They have more than they can manage. More than the children can play with. More than they can desire even. So many things children even possess. And the stores are full. I mean, how much are we going to consume? How much are we going to use? But just to fulfill our desires? Now there's, let's say, a play kitchen that a girl has, but now there's a pink one, and then there's a purple one, and then there's a new kind of a doll, and there's a new kind of blocks, and new kind of this, new kind of that. Everything. New, new, and better, and better. Whereas if you think about it, it's very similar. Children, more than they like toys, they like to play with what? Actual real stuff. Right? The other day, there was a box, a parcel that came and you know those um, things that they put in in order to fill parcels? What do you call it? The styrofoam like pieces. Not bubble wrap. Peanuts, right? It's called peanuts, something like that. Something like that. Anyway, you know what I'm talking about, right? Like pieces of styrofoam. And there was a huge box full of that. So my son, he was so interested in that. He brought a steel bowl from the kitchen, brought a huge spatula, and then started pouring from the box into the bowl. I'm like, this is recycling. He's playing with recycling. Recycling material. And he played with it for like a good half an hour. And he played with it many, many times. And you know bubble wrap? Right? It's supposed to fulfill its purpose. But children, they love it. I mean, my daughter, she is entertained by bubble wrap for hours. I just covered a table with bubble wrap and she just stands with it. Pop, 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 pop. 15, 20 minutes. She won't stand in front of a play kitchen that long, ever. She won't play with a doll for that long. She won't play with, you know, kids' dishes and cups for that long. 
they love to spend time doing what? You know, real stuff. Right? But we think that if something is pink and orange and purple and red and blue, then the kids will love it. Whereas in reality, who is fulfilling desires? It's the parents. Right? Many times, these products that are made, children don't have any interest in them. But whose hearts are caught over there? It's the parents. Like for example, a perfect nursery. Alright? Who wants it? It's the mother, it's the father. Because by the time the child is three years old, four years old, five years old, they won't even remember what bed covers, what sheets you put in their crib. They won't remember. You'll get rid of it. And the child won't even remember. So who's fulfilling their desires over here? It's the parents. With the excuse of you? My only child. My first son. My first daughter. My fifth child. Right? How can I not do this for my son? How can I not do this for my second daughter? It's basically people fulfilling their desires with different excuses. My daughter, my son, my this, my that. So what does Allah say? وَلَا تُفْسِدُوا فِي الْأَرْضِ بَعْدَ إِصْلَاحِهَا Don't cause corruption in the earth after Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has said it right. After Allah has created it so beautifully, so perfectly. In Surah Al-Rahman, Ayah 7 to 10, we learn, أَلَّا تَطْغَوْ فِي الْمِيزَانِ وَأَقِيمُوا الْوَزْنَ بِالْقِسْطِ وَلَا تُخْسِرُوا الْمِيزَانِ وَالْأَرْضَ وَضَعَهَا لِلْأَنَامِ فِيهَا فَاكِهَةٌ وَالنَّخْلُ ذَاتُ الْأَكْمَامِ The heaven, the sky, He raised and He imposed the balance. Everything in order. That you not transgress within the balance. Don't transgress your limits. And establish weight injustice and do not make deficient the balance. And the earth He laid out for the creatures. This earth He has created for who? The creatures, not just you. وَدْعُوهُ And call upon Him خَوْفًا In fear وَطَمَعًا And in hope. There should be a balance. Be afraid when you're calling upon Allah because of which there should be humility. But also be hopeful. طَمَعًا Because what does Allah say? I am as my servant thinks I am. So if you're hopeful of Allah's mercy, then Allah will respond to you. Inna rahmatullahi. Indeed, the mercy of Allah, it is qareebun, near min al-muhsineen to those who do good. Those who do good, the mercy of Allah is very near to them. Meaning, very soon Allah will respond to their call. Like the Prophet ﷺ, he was making dua, tadarru'an, khufiyatan, khawfan, tama'an. And what happened? Before even the battle was completely over, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala granted him victory. Allah granted him victory. So Allah's mercy is very close to those people who do good. So what do we learn over here? What are the etiquettes of making dua? How can we make sure that inshallah our duas are accepted? That first of all, call upon Allah, tadarru'an. Secondly, khufiyatan. Thirdly, khawfan. Fourthly, tama'an. And fifth, do ihsan. Do good. Do the good that Allah has asked of you. Because what does Allah say? That فَلْيَسْتَجِيبُوا لِي وَلْيُؤْمِنُوا بِي They should respond to me. Meaning when Allah has ordered us to do something, we should also do that. When we will do it, then Allah will also respond to our prayers. وَهُوَ الَّذِي And He is the one who يُرْسِلُ He sends الرياح, the winds. Allah is the one who sends the winds. When the winds blow, they blow at whose command? At whose command? Allah's command. Allah orders them to blow, 
that is when they blow. If it's very fast, or if it's not there at all, should we object? Should we complain? No. Why? Because they are blowing not by their own will, but at the command of Allah. وَهُوَ الَّذِي يُرْسِلُ الْرِيَاحِ And He sends the winds as bushran, bears of good news, plural of bashira. Bashira is one who brings good news. So the winds, they bring good news بَيْنَ day before رَحْمَتِهِ His mercy. Before His actual mercy comes upon you, what does Allah do? He sends good news to you that Allah's mercy is coming. So before Allah actually sends rain, what happens? He sends the winds. So that with the winds, you know that okay, the rain is going to come. You look forward to it. And many blessings of Allah come in this way. They don't just pop up in front of you. They don't just pop up in front of you. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives you the good news first. Like for example, a woman doesn't just have a child all of a sudden randomly one day. No. She's made to look forward to that blessing for nine months. Right? So, as soon as a person sees the signs of a blessing coming, what are those signs in reality? Good news. بَيْنَ يَدَيْ رَحْمَتِي حَتَّى until إِذَا when أَقَلَّتْ It carried سَحَابًا Clouds ثِقَالًا Heavy Meaning the winds, what do they do? They pick up, they carry heavy rain clouds. This is very interesting. The word أَقَلَّتْ is from, what's the root? قَافْ لَامْ لَامْ What word comes to your mind? قَلِيل قِلَّة What does that mean? Shortage, when something is less. Alright? Now when something is less, when there's very few things, then if you have to carry them, is it easy? Come on. If there's only two bags, you're like, yeah, yeah, only two bags. There's only one bag. Like, yeah, only one bag. But if there's 20 bags, like for example, one is that you just stop by quickly at the grocery store and you buy just bread and butter and maybe eggs or something like that. You have only one bag to take inside. Is that easy to carry? Yes. But if you went to Costco and you did your month's shopping and your pickup van is just full of stuff, then will it be easy for you to carry that? No. Because you know that you have to take multiple rounds in and out to take everything inside. And each thing is heavy because it's oversized. Or the quantity is a lot. Right? So, aqallat is to find something to consider something light. To consider something light. And because of that, you carry it easily. Even though it could be very heavy, and it could be difficult for you to carry, but you consider it to be very light. Alright? And because of that, you just carry it easily. Like for example, one is that, you have a baby in your arm and then you have groceries to take inside. One bag even will seem very heavy and difficult for you to carry. Is it? And then there comes this big macho man, right? Trying to help you. And he comes and carries two bags each in one hand. Something on his head. Right? And he takes everything inside in just one or two rounds. If you had to do it, it would be so difficult. And here comes your brother. I'll do it, I'll do it. Maybe the, it's very few times that he'll say that to you. But when he does, he's like, leave it to me, I'll do it. 
And when he does it, he does it so quickly. And if it was left to you, it would be very, very difficult for you to do it. So why is it that he was able to do it? Because he found it, he aqallat, he found it light. Aqalla, right? Why? Because he's strong, his hands are empty, and he doesn't think it's a big deal. You think it's a big deal, but he doesn't think it's a big deal. So the winds, what do they do? They carry sahaban siqalan. Siqal, plural of saqil. Saqil is very heavy. Heavy clouds. But what happens? These winds, they just carry them forwards so fast as if they are nothing. And it's amazing because when we look at the clouds, they seem to be very light, fluffy, right? and soft, and light. But in reality, they're carrying so much water, so much snow, that when a little bit of it falls in your driveway, and you have to shovel it, your back is almost broken by the time you're done. And this is just a little bit of snow that has fallen from that cloud. The rest of it, on the streets, in other people's driveways, on their roofs, in their backyards. Imagine, what percentage of snow did your driveway get? Very little. But your back breaks because of shoveling all of that. It's so heavy. Exactly. That when your clothes are wet and you're wearing them, they're a lot harder to carry on your body. It's difficult for you to move. Right? And if you have dirty laundry and you're stuffing it in the washing machine, it's light. But when you're lifting it out and putting it in the dryer because they're wet, they're much heavier. Water has weight. Right? So the clouds, which are carrying all this water, so heavy, the winds just cause them to move as if they are nothing. As if they are so light. حَتَّى إِذَا أَقَلَّتْ سَحَابًا سِقَالًا Then what happens? سُقْنَاهُ We drive it. سُقْنَاهُ From سِينَ يَاقَافُ To drive. So they are driven, these clouds are driven, لِبَلَدٍ To a land, ميت dead. A dead land. A dead land meaning barren land. Nothing growing on it. فَأَنزَلْنَا So we send down, bihi with it, alma the water. Meaning, we cause the water to come down from those heavy clouds on that dead land. And then فَأَخْرَجْنَا Then we take out, bihi, because of it. Meaning because of that water that has fallen on that dead land. مِنْ كُلِّ ثَمَرَاتِ From every kind of ثَمَرَاتِ ثَمَرَاتِ plural of ثَمَرَةِ Fruit. Different kinds of fruits, different kinds of produce. I mean, think about it. Tomatoes even. Different sizes. Different taste. Cucumbers. Different sizes, different tastes. So, all of these varieties of produce, different color, size, taste, texture, fragrance, all of this comes from one earth, one land, that has taken in one water, one sunlight, but so much variety. Kadalika. Just like that, نُخْرِجُ We will bring out الْمَوْتَى The dead ones, plural of mayit. لَعَلَّكُمْ تَذَكَّرُونَ So that you take lesson, you remember. That just as from dead land, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala causes so much produce to come forth, on the day of judgment, all the dead which are buried in the earth will grow out of the earth. 
In Surah Nuh, Ayah 17-18, Allah says, وَاللَّهُ أَنْبَتَكُمْ مِنَ الْأَرْضِ نَبَاتًا ثُمَّ يُعِيدُكُمْ فِيهَا وَيُخْرِجُكُمْ إِخْرَاجًا That Allah caused you to grow from the earth, a progressive growth, because your nutrition comes from the earth. Then He will return you into it and extract you, another extraction, meaning He will take you out of the earth another time. This is why from various narrations we learn that on the Day of Judgment, Allah will send down rain from the sky and the rain will pour on the earth for 40 days. And then the dead will come out of the earth because their bodies will come to life. Just like plants, they grow out from what? Seeds. So our DNA is, even though the bodies may be completely decomposed, but DNA would be somewhere or the other. Even if a person is burnt by fire or consumed by an animal, whatever happens, they're a dead body. Some way or the other, the traces are there. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will cause the bodies to grow out of the earth. Allah says, Kadalika, just like that, Nukhrijul Mauta, we will bring out the dead ones. It's not difficult for Allah. But a lesson that Allah teaches us here is what? That Walbaladu Tayyib and the land which is good. The good land. What is good land? Fertile land, which is clean, which is not polluted. So that land, when rainwater falls on it, yakhruju, it produces, nabatuhu, its vegetation, bi'idni, by permission, rabbihi, of its Lord. The good land, fertile land, what happens? It produces vegetation by the permission of Allah. And what kind of vegetation is it? Beautiful. Amazing. You know, beautiful in its smell, in its texture, and if it's any food, in its taste. وَالَّذِي خَبُثَ And that which is bad, meaning the land which is bad. How is it bad? It's either dirty, polluted, or it is not fertile. Then what happens? The same rain water falls on it, but Allah says, لَا يَخْرُجُ It does not produce, it does not grow. إِلَّا except نَكِدَ Very little, sparsely. Nakid is from the root letters Noon Kafdal, and Nakid is Qalilun Nafr, that which is very little in its benefit, meaning it doesn't produce much benefit at all. It doesn't give much benefit at all. So a lot of rainwater has fallen onto it. However, what does it grow? Hardly anything. Hardly anything. It's like imagine you have a, a flower pot, and you hardly take care of it. You pour a little bit of water, put it by the window. And what happens? It's just growing and flourishing. It's like as if it's on steroids. Why? Because the soil is very fertile. You put high quality fertilizer in it. Right? But at the same time, if you just take any random soil from your, let's say backyard, and in that you put a seed, and you water it, and you take care of it, what does it grow? Hardly a thing. Hardly a thing. Why? Because the soil is bad. Right? One soil, good. Other soil, bad. Same thing is poured on it, water. But the result is different. One is producing so much, and the other is producing nothing but nakid, meaning hardly a thing. Hardly producing anything. كَذَلِكَ Just like that, نُصَرِّفُ الْآيَاتِ We diversify the verses, the signs. لِقَوْمٍ For a people, يَشْكُرُونَ They're grateful. Notice grateful. Because grateful people, even if they get very little, they're very thankful. 
And they use whatever little Allah has given them very effectively. And as a result, they accomplish much more than what other people have. Because it's the difference of the heart. If a person has this realization that Allah has given me this, and they're grateful, they will use everything to the best that they can. And the people who are not grateful, even if they have everything, they will say, oh, I can't do this because I don't have this. And I can't do that because I don't have that. But people who are grateful, they produce more, they do more, they accomplish more. It's the difference of the heart. The Prophet ﷺ gave the example of the knowledge that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent him with. How? That it's like rain that falls in different kinds of land. One land is fertile. So what happens? It absorbs the water and produces a lot. Another type of land is hard. So what happens? It doesn't absorb the water. It just contains the water. So that it cannot benefit from it, or it benefits from it just a little bit, but others benefit from it. And the third type of land is that which is so tough and hard that the water falls on it, and it just flows off. It doesn't absorb it, doesn't hold it. If you think about it, rain, water is the same. Why is the result different? Because the land is different. Just like that, the Qur'an is the same. The same Qur'an people listen to. One person hears it, reads it, studies it, their salah changes, their language changes, their thinking changes. Why? Because tayyib heart. Another type of person, they study, they read, they revise, they memorize, they take the tests, they ace the tests, really good. But the actions don't change. Or very, very little. Why? Because the problem is in the heart. The heart is not willing to accept. So we have to see that with the blessings that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is giving to us, are we grateful for them? Are we using them in the best way that we can? Or are we just complaining, this is not ideal, and this is not perfect, and I still don't have this, and I still don't have that. Those who are grateful, they will produce a lot of khair. They will produce a lot of good deeds with whatever Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given them. So if we want to accomplish high levels in the hereafter, then it doesn't matter how much dunya we get. Even a little bit will suffice. Were the companions millionaires? Did the companions live in luxury houses? No. But what did they have? Grateful hearts. They valued the blessing of the deen. They valued the blessing of the Qur'an, of the Prophet ﷺ. So this is why even with little resources they were able to accomplish much more than we accomplish with the millions of things that Allah has given us. So let's be grateful. And when a person is grateful, then he will remember others. That he will not selfishly consume everything himself, he will care about others as well. Recitation. إِنَّ رَبَّكُمُ اللَّهُ الَّذِي خَلَقَ السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضَ فِي سِتَّةِ أَيَّامٍ ثُمَّ اسْتَوَى عَلَى الْعَرْشِ 